Hi, welcome to the podcast available for subscription and ratings over at iTunes and Stitcher. Notice how smoothly I got that in there. I'm Joe Posnanski, national columnist of NBC Sports. Mike Vaccaro is one of my closest friends, uh, has been for 25 years at least, maybe more. We're old. And uh, he is the columnist of the New York Post, one of the great sports writers in the country. We talk about a lot of things, a lot of sports, but I began by asking him what it's been like, especially in this new era of media, to fulfill his lifelong dream and be a columnist in New York City. All right, so I'm going to ask you all sorts of questions about sports. We're going to talk about the Mets. We're going to talk about New York sports, all the all the craziness with the NBA Finals. But I want to begin with this because you and I have been friends for a very, very long time. I know how much it means to you. Uh, you grew up wanting to do exactly what you're doing, which is being a New York sports columnist. In today's crazy environment with newspapers all over struggling and you see it and I see it in our business. So what is it like now being a New York sports columnist in, in 2016? What is that like now? You know what, Joe, it's, it's actually just exactly the way I always thought it would be. Now it might be a different kind of impact. I think that when, uh, you know, Dick Young was doing his thing back in the day and Jimmy Cannon was doing his thing back in the day, it was the primary voice. It was the only voice because there was no such thing as talk radio. Um, you know, there weren't any blogs in 1955, as far as I know. Um, so you didn't have that kind of competition, but you know what? It's, it, it's funny because it's the post and because it's New York, you know, you still see the tabloids, you know, all, all throughout the subways and it's a perfect medium for the subway, you know, for as long as, uh, for as long as it lasts. But, uh, you know, it still matters. And, it, and I think what we do, the back page still matters. Uh, so you can still infuriate, you can still, you know, amuse, hopefully do that in equal measure. And when you're the guy who's, you know, helping to put some of the opinions on that back page, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's still pretty cool. I mean, it really is. It's, uh, you know, I kind of grew up, uh, admiring, you know, the idea that the, uh, the, the guys could write for the back page and have, you know, entire parts of the city talking for hours about what they'd written. And, uh, I, I can't say that I witnessed that, but I know it's the case because it's reflected in my Twitter timeline and social media and all the stuff that, uh, that I'm sure Dick Young would have had just a, a marvelous time enjoying if he had only lived long enough. Yeah, I'm sure Dick Young would have really liked Twitter. He would have been such <laughs> a big Twitter fan. His mentions would have been something to behold. <laughs> I think they would have, uh, yeah, that would have been something. So, you know, New York is sort of, in, in many ways, I don't want to say it's the last city because there, there certainly is, is thriving newspaper uh, work all over the country. Uh, newspapers are not dead, not yet. Uh, but there is something special about New York and you really kind of hit it. It's, I mean, it is the subway. It is people sort of getting from one place to another. Uh, there's still time to read. There's time not to do as much anything else. So do you feel, I mean, in some ways, like you're a little bit isolated. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I can tell you for you and I both know the guys in Kansas city and, and what they're doing in Kansas city right now is not any different from what I did in Kansas city for all those years. Uh, so there are still pockets where, where it's still pretty much the same, but it's different in New York, isn't it? I mean, do you feel like it's a little bit isolated in New York? It, it is different because I like you know, some people get mad. You know, one of the great things about talk radio shows going on TV is that you see these guys flipping through the paper, you know, when the camera's on. 
and then and then infuriate some people. And, and and I say why? All it does is prove our point that that that, that we still matter, that we still set the agenda. Uh, I I don't know if that's the the, the, the way it is elsewhere. I, I agree with you, Kansas City. Uh, it does still have a very strong newspaper presence, thanks to the people they have there and the people who run the paper, who we both still know very well. But um, it, 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 I'll, I'll tell you where it seems, you know, different. And I, I almost say it's specific to the Post because, you know, even in our own little world here, uh, we're still a paper that travels the most. And yeah. so we still, you know, send, you know, two and three guys on big road trips with the Mets or the Yankees and on Sunday football games with the Jets and the Giants. You know, we're still flooding the zone at the World Series. And it's it becomes more and more depressing each passing year when you go to these big events and there's more there's more workspace you know there's more workspace in the Final Four than there ever was before. I mean, time was you remember this you had to fight for phone lines and sure. and just elbow room and now you get half a table to yourself at the Final Four, which is you know both easier to work and also kind of makes you shake your head because you you kind of wonder where all the people are. And you know I guess even, even we're kind of taking part in that because you know nowhere is that more evident than the Olympics. And we're not covering the Olympics this year because it's like, I have a hard time arguing with because, you know, our bread and butter is New York. You know, we're, you know, we're a local newspaper. It's the best kind of local to be, in my opinion, because New York's a fun place to work. But, uh, you know, so, so our seat at the Olympics is going to be filled this year. So, you know, I guess, we're, you know, in, in some ways we take part of that also. But that's really where you really see the, you know, the big change is there's fewer and fewer people. It used to be great going on these four or five trips a year that everybody would go on because you catch up with everybody that you knew and, California and Texas and Florida, and now you barely see those guys anymore. It's too bad. Yeah, it has definitely changed. I mean, in, in some ways, I, I think the changes probably were inevitable. Uh, you know, you talk about the Olympics. Obviously, at NBC, the Olympics are everything to us. So for me, right, of course. my my life is very very Olympic centric, and I'm thrilled about that, and excited about that. But at the same time, I fully understand that that for a newspaper. Uh, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's the the Final Four, whether it's the U.S. Open, whether what whatever it is, it's it's like that's not that doesn't really fit the newspaper feel anymore. I mean, you know, it's local is is what newspapers can do better than ever, uh, and better than anybody else. And New York, that's particularly true. I mean, New York is is so you know obviously there's so many sports, but it's also you know the sports fans are so you know hungry for for everything, for, you know, to feel something uh, with their teams. And, and, you know, let's be honest, that's one thing that newspapers, I think, do better than anybody else, including talk radio. I think newspapers still touch that that part of people's uh, fanhood better than anybody else. Yeah, people still cut, you know, put things out of newspapers and send them to their friends, you know, across the country. They don't really do that, you know, with talk radio bits, although I guess Maybe they do. They can send the links. I mean, so maybe I'm just a little too old fashioned. But, you know, the thing about, about that, too, Joe, is that, you know, there comes a point when if you're sitting in my seat, the Olympics becomes almost a vanity project, you know. And look, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure that, you know, I could have, you know, finagled my way, talked my way to Rio. And, you know, if, if, if I really, really pushed it. But, look, all you got to do is you got to walk back a couple of rows at, at the newsroom. Well, they'll show you exactly how many people click on your story for you know, for, for, for a midweek Mets Nationals game as opposed to, a, you know, to, 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 to the gymnastics finals. I mean, it's not close. And when you see that, you realize, well, you know, I, I think you got to go where your bread is buttered, right? And uh, the old Bear Bryant line, dance with the girl of Bronya, and that's what New York is. You know, it's, it, it, is, it, is, it is hyper-local. And like I said, I mean, you know, some people look at local and, and think of that as a dirty word. In this day and age, local is, is, is you know, is, is the moneymaker for us. You know, it's what, it's what allows us to stay relevant, and you know you got to be true to that. I think. 
Well, I think that's right. But I also think that local means something very, very different in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I am. Uh, while a very fine sports town, uh, you know, with its with its two major sports and and all of that, local is very different here than New York is its own country, right? I mean, New York is just not only do you have competing sports teams, but it's just it's so vast, and people are coming from so many different places to get into the city and get out of the city, and and you know, and I I really see the point where you you know you kind of you have to you have to speak to what those people want and but that's kind of always been what you wanted to do anyway right i mean it's all you've always it been, is yeah you've always been and a sports writer like and, that. yeah and and new york is so unique Joe, because there's because there's so many teams and so much goes on here every day i mean i've often said that you know if i didn't if i, if I didn't have a wife and i didn't have any friends if i wanted to write you know every day for 365 days it wouldn't be that hard to find something to write about every day and and you wouldn't necessarily have to fill those days just by going to the ballpark and running off off the game. I mean, it's you know that's the kind of way things are. I mean, you know, it's you know you could it, it doesn't feel it couldn't feel possibly farther away from football season right now. And yet, you know, you could probably write five days in a row about you know Fitzpatrick with the Jets. You could you know if if, if you're so inclined, there's probably a bunch of good hockey stories to write, even though you know they won't be playing a game in New York uh, or New Jersey, you know, the hockey teams until until October. So. Um, that is one of the great things about New York. It is one of the things that sometimes, you know, when you, you can like it too much, you know, <laughs> you oh. kind of have to pull back sometimes because it, because it really is impossible to, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's why the, I guess the one thing that, you know, sometimes I don't want to say envy to talk to the talk radio guys, but they can talk about five, six, seven, ten things a day. You know, generally speaking, we, we you know, we do one. Sometimes, you know, when these breaks, you know, and, and you're at an event already, you'll do two. But that's it, and um, you know it's a lot of different content. Obviously, that's what you have to do on talk radio, but but you really are kind of you know forced to be you know daily specialized here, which is uh, which is different because you have to. You don't have to worry about that in a lot of markets. You know, I I, I don't think that our friend John Canzano in Portland is wondering about what else is going to happen if they if the Blazers are playing a big game because that's all that matters. Yeah. Different kind of setup. I, I think that's I think that's true, but I, but I also think. Uh, and by the way, you have pulled off the 365 day thing. I know you have. I mean, it's, you, you, you are you are, uh, you are a, a hardworking man. Um, but I think the I think the the larger point to me uh, about it is that there is always stuff to write. I, I never really have understood people who who sort of say, "Well, I'm kind of out of ideas," or or you know. To me, I, I feel like you know, and I've always kind of felt this way. I can't write everything that I want to write. I, like I can't get to everything, you know, and, and that's particularly true. That was true for me in Kansas city. I felt that way. So in New York, you know, th there's always three things going on. I mean, it's like, there's never a day that you go, well, there, look, there's literally nothing to write today. Yeah. And, and we adopt things as we go along too. I mean, we're like magnets. I mean, obviously the flake gate was kind of a quasi local story because yes. You know, we you know we love to make fun of Tom Brady's you know footballs on the back page as much as we can, and we can you know we love to make fun of Bill Belichick whenever we can, and you know the Red Sox, you know those were a nice target. You know, time was the Phillies would be any so be in our purview. So uh, you know we do kind of you know, that's part of it. You know, uh, especially as part of you know what tabloids do. I mean, you know it's, it's it's kind of our mission to not take ourselves all that seriously. You know, we, we take the business of newspaper seriously, obviously, but. Uh, the back page is to me, to, to me is intended to, 
to, to catch your eye one way or the other. And a lot of times the best way to do that is for people to chuckle and say, that's clever. And that's why they pick the paper up. So, and, uh, that's, uh, you know, also my job as a columnist. I mean, I think one of the great things about writing the, you know, writing it here is not just all these subjects that you can, you know, can, can encounter, but it's, you're kind of forced to, to really use every pitch in your repertoire. You know, I mean, you can't be a, a two pitch pitcher or else people are going to grow tired of it. And, you know, it means you take chances, but it also makes it, you know, that much more fun. You know, you don't have to throw a fastball every day. Occasionally, you can throw a change up, try and go for a laugh. And if people won't laugh, well, you try it again tomorrow. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the neat things because there always is tomorrow. There's always something else to write tomorrow. But there, but you have been okay. So you've been at the post for what, 15 years? Close to 15 years now. Yeah. And yeah two, you know, November 2002, believe it or not, man. That's a month that's hard to believe. That 14 is years. That's amazing. So you've been <laughs> at the post for, for a very long time and you're. Kind of, I consider you, even though you're not the, the, I don't know if you're the, really actually the dean, but I call, you're the dean of sport, New York sports writing. So when something happens at this point in your life, anything that happens, whatever a case may be, do you immediately know, oh yeah, that's the back page? It's, it's amazing how it's gotten to that point. Sometimes, sometimes they'll give they'll, they'll, throw, they'll throw me a change up and those are the days when I think they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you know, in the same way, and I think you know, Joe, you can, you can appreciate this. I think you know, it's it's the old you know Malcolm Gladwell thing. You do ten thousand hours or something, right. you're going to become pretty proficient at it. And you know, in the same way that I think I can identify a column the moment it happens at an event, you know, I'm like that's the column. Uh, I, I think that, uh, that especially paying attention during the course of a of a of a day in New York City, you can you can pretty much identify what the back page is going to be, especially because now that I know the guys who are putting the back page together. I know what their sensibilities are. I know what they think sells. I know what they think they like to sell on the back page. And so, yeah, it is, it is the kind of thing where the moment it happens, it's like, yep, that's it right there. And, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to have the debate with people after the fact sometimes, but, but uh, generally speaking, you know, let's say 98 times out of a hundred, they get it absolutely right. Yeah. And you, and you know, it's coming. So, so speaking of back pages, so we'll start, we'll start talking a couple, a little bit of New York sports. Uh, and speaking of back pages, you have to go to sort of the, the guy who has become sort of Mr. Backpage, uh, Matt Harvey, who who is, uh, however we want to say this, he is fascinating, and he is someone that is uh, draws very very powerful emotions. So, and you've been in the middle of this. So, as a columnist, when when you you know think of Matt Harvey, what what sort of what sort of strikes you? What what strikes you in what he's been going through? What what you've seen from him for the last uh, two weeks, which has been uh, you know, they're pretty operatic, you know, the ups and downs for him. Well, I think, I think the first thing, any of us who have been here for a couple of years, whenever he goes to the mound, the first thing we we, we are really drawn to is, is what he was in 2013. Cause sometimes it's hard to forget or it's easy to forget just how remarkable it was to watch him. Yeah. You know, especially in, you know, to say April through July, you know, in, in the weeks before he got diagnosed, he kind of had a little bit of, of a tailspin or, or a fall off, not a tailspin. Um, but, uh, you know, the, 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 there were certain nights in 2013 where it stunned you whenever he would, you know, where, where, that he wouldn't throw a perfect game because that's how in command he was. And what's interesting is, you know, he had kind of a bounce back game on Sunday against the White Sox, which was appropriate because he had a game against the White Sox, you know, in 13, that was one of the best games ever pitched that no one's ever going to talk about because it wasn't a no hitter. He didn't even win the game, but it was, a, it was a random Tuesday or Wednesday night in New York City and he just, he just was unhittable. Huh. And it was the kind of thing that, that, that establishes a reputation. 
And that's, I think, the thing that you immediately go to when you see the guy who scuffled against Washington twice, when you see what he's become. Uh, I think there was always kind of a, you know, kind of a, a cringeworthiness to the fact that I think he put the cart before the horse a little bit. Sure. You know, he, he embraced a celebrity before he really became a, a great pitcher. And I, you know, by, by, by great, I mean having great moments. I mean putting together seasons, you know, being Clayton Kershaw. Um, and I think there was always a cringeworthiness to that and that you kind of hoped it wouldn't bite him. I know there's a lot of cringeworthiness when he did the, the body issue yeah. <laughs> his, his rookie year um, for a lot of reasons. Um, and I think, unfortunately, in some ways, that, that, that stuff might have become a self-fulfilling prophecy over the last couple of weeks. All this stuff, you know, all this, you know, all this stuff coming back to bite him. You got wise guys like me who are willing to, you know, obviously reference all those things. Sure. And look, I mean, I, I, I thought last year, look, there was a lot that was made last year with the innings limits controversy that was kind of fostered by Scott Boris. And people think that we ripped him for not wanting to pitch which is a little revisionist history now. I mean, really what the, what the problem, what the issue was is that all year last year, the Mets went out of their way. were tried, tried to get ahead of the curve to limit his innings, whether it was a six man rotation, whether it was skipping him two or three starts, whether it was, you know, taking him out after five innings of games that, you know, he could save an inning here and an inning there. And he fought them every step of the way. And of course the way that, 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 that the Mets wanted to spin that was, you know, him being the warrior, him wanting the ball, him not wanting to, and that was fine. Because that's certainly the way that Harvey wanted to be, but also what caused the blowback was that all of a sudden he did a 180 and let the agents say, well, they're working too much. Well, that was completely in, 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 in contrast to the way that, that he behaved and completely in contrast to the way the Mets wanted him to behave, wanted him to be, be limited. So that's what kind of got lost in that. And then he didn't make any, do himself any favors either. The day before the playoffs began last year, he blew off a mandatory workout. So he got stuck in traffic. And, and these are things that, you know, look, I mean, you know, people say, well, how much, you know, people sometimes question how much you, the clubhouse, the clubhouse, the clubhouse. Well, look, there's a couple of things that can really get you in a problem with your teammates. One is, is not being accountable, which is what, we, you know, a lot of us got on him for last week for not talking to the media after getting shelled in Washington. And one is for simply not following the rules or thinking that the rules don't apply to you, which I can promise you is what was going around that clubhouse the day that Harvey didn't show up. Yeah. Um, and those are the things that, you know, that, 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 that all of these things come together. So, Look, when he, when he succeeds, when he throws a two-hitter like he did against the White Sox on Sunday, you know what? Th- those are the kind of things you say, well, you know what? He, he, he brings it on the day of the game, and that's all that matters. But the moment he stumbles, you start putting all this thing together, and you, you, know, you start thinking that maybe there's a little interrelation to all of this. And I think that's you know, kind of where the basic conflict between what we do and what the fans do are. Because, look, you know, there was nobody in the press box that booed Harvey off the mound 10 days ago against the Nationals when they crushed him here at City Field. I mean, right. you know, I can promise you that we weren't booing him, but somebody was. <laughs> so, you know, and that's understandable. I'm not saying that, you know, there is someone who say, well, the fans shouldn't boo my Harvey. Of course they should. They pay their money. They're allowed to do whatever they want. I mean, they certainly shouldn't curse at him or do whatever, sometimes what drunken, noxious fans do. But, I mean, they're certainly allowed to voice their opinions. And, you know, still, I think there's still a healthy skepticism. Is this, is this a one-time thing? Have you learned his lesson? He did seem humbled yesterday, which was something that I think you have to you have to take away from as a good thing. And certainly, he was a different looking pitcher on Sunday than he was previously. I mean, he just was he just was more in command. And who knows if that's just uh, a product of the way pitching can be, which is a fickle you know a fickle thing sometimes, or if you really did figure it out. I guess we'll find that out the next couple of starts. Well, it's I find it to be really interesting because people obviously have very strong opinions 
uh, about athletes in general, he he seems to bring out so many of them. So you, you take, for example, uh, and obviously I know that you've you know you had, had uh, uh, plenty of people that that came after you for ripping him after he blew off, uh, you know, talking to anybody after a terrible start. And I thought there was a point that people missed about that. And, you know, you made the point that it's not fair to his teammates, which I think is true. Uh, you made the point that, that it's not, uh, it doesn't make him look good, which I think is true. But, but to me, there's, there's another point to this. And, and that is, it's not that hard. It's really not that hard to just stand up and say, you know what? I was terrible. Uh, I promise you that I will be uh, do everything I can to be better next time out. Uh, I take full responsibility. I don't know what the problem is, but I'm going to figure it out. That's just not that hard. And it makes everybody feel better about you. I mean, all of your teammates and all of you, they look at that and they admire that. And they respect that. Uh, the media writes about that. And that's what fans look at that and go, hey, I respect that. Everything about that is so positive for the person uh, and I actually thought this was this is what I thought about Cam Newton. I like I didn't think Cam Newton necessarily deserved some of the some of the the heat and abuse that he took after the Super Bowl. But I thought he did himself a real disservice by not just saying, "Hey, you know what? Bad game. I promise you, all, I'm going to bring this team back." Take five minutes. That's all it is. It's five minutes of just standing up and and saying what you know needs to be said, and then go you know, go kick your couch. It doesn't matter what you do after that. I mean, I, I don't get that. I mean, you and I have been this, uh, you know, in this business for a long time and we've seen this. Doesn't that strike you that it's really just not that hard? Well, that's the thing, you know, specific to Harvey too, Joe, is that five days earlier, he got crushed a lot worse against the Nationals here at City Field. And afterward, uh, the, you know, the, 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 that's what it was. It was basically, the mess let us know, you know, here's, here's Matt, you know, he, he's, he's, Got a few things he wants to say, but 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 you know, let's let's try and keep it you know brief, and that's fine. And he's and that's exactly what happened. I mean, you know, you know, he was clearly well coached that night, and you know, answered the questions properly. And that's again, you're right. It's not that hard. You know, to 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 answer five questions takes about five minutes. Yeah. And and then people, of course, want to well, what's what's the point? You're asking the same questions, you're giving the same answers. Again, that's fine. I can you know I can do my job just as easily if Matt Harvey never talks to me again the rest right. of his life. That's not the point, though. The point is that people pay attention. Look, I mean, people think this isn't a big deal, but it is a big deal. And in the, in, in the way a clubhouse you know, comes together, breaks apart, when, when, when Matt Harvey bails, that means Kevin Plowecki, who doesn't have a fraction of the stature in that clubhouse that Matt Harvey does, now has to answer not about Matt Harvey, but on behalf of Matt Harvey. And that doesn't make him comfortable at all. He bets a buck eighty-five. He's, you know, he's he's struggling. He's he's fighting for every ounce of playing time on this level. He shouldn't be the one who answers for the most high-profile guy on the team. Right. Um, and, and 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 look, guys notice that. And here's the other thing: is that guys notice that, and you know, and when that happens once, you know, it's like it's just like a virus. You know, a couple of days later, Jerry's familiar, who's always been a stand-up guy. You know, and if you're a closer, you absolutely have to be because. You know, even the best of them are going to are going to wind up, you know, losing games for you. Mariano Rivera is the best of all time, and three times he, you know, he 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 sure. the postseason for the Yankees. So, you know, and, and every and every time he said he put his test, obviously stood in front of his locker. But you know, two days after Harvey doesn't uh, doesn't uh, show up for media, get, uh, familiar for the first time all year, uh, doesn't show up at his locker after he blows a four only in the ninth inning against the Dodgers. Um, is that a coincidence? I mean, I guess it could be. I I don't think it is. 
you know, I think what happens is the guy says, well, if he's not going to talk, why do I have to talk? That's right. And, and, and that just goes, and look, I mean, I know people in New York get tired of always referencing these two people when it comes to baseball, but frankly, I mean, all you got to do is look at Derek Jeter, look at David Wright. Derek Jeter once went 0 for 31, you know, in, in the prime of his career, and every day he sat, he stood in front of his locker. He didn't have any answers for really to explain why he wasn't hitting, but he answered them. David Wright has gone through so much in the last couple of years because not only his you know, his, his health, but he comes back and his production is down. And every day he's in front of his locker. Yes, he's the captain. Yes, Jeter was the captain. And there's a role, and, you know, there's an implied, you know, I guess additional responsibility that goes to that title. But, you know what, Matt Harvey specifically is a guy who has said on the record numerous times, you know, I want to be Derek Jeter. He works for Derek Jeter now as the New York bureau chief, you know, for the Players' Tribune. So uh, I'm not sure quite how his post-game uh, – uh, you know, the count went after that game in Washington since he didn't have any Matt Harvey quotes, but that's a whole different existential story, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they, 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 I think the players' tribune actually brings up several existential possibilities, you know, that go with these things. But I, but I think, you're, <laughs> but I think your point is 100 percent right. I, I think that when you look at, I think there's a deeper, I think there's a deeper loss there for those players. I think if you are not stand up, if you are not willing to, uh, to, to you know, admit that that you're struggling. If you're not willing to sort of face up to, hey, I let my teammates down. I think everybody feels that. I, you know, they they feel it directly, like you're talking about, where they have to answer the questions for you, and they have to, uh, you know, and 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 they have to answer the questions, and with the back of their mind going, why do I have to answer this if he doesn't have to answer the questions? I think there's some of that, but in addition to that, there's kind of this, there's this feeling. I think what why players loved Derek Jeter is that that guy was in front of his locker every single day. And he didn't say anything and he wasn't he wasn't quotable and whatever, but he was there doing his job. That's what a pro does. And you see that and you're like, okay, well that's 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 the kind of team we are right there. You know, that is know that's the kind of team. And and I I really think it's that kind of a big deal. I think look, I think Matt Harvey gets paid uh, to to not only pitch well, he gets paid to do what is necessary to help the team uh, maintain a you know the whatever whatever you want to call it the chemistry or the or the the sense of of togetherness or whatever you want to call it. He, that's part of his job. And answering to me, answering five questions is just not that big a deal. I just don't think it's right. That big and, deal. and one of the, you know one of the burdens that a high profile player bears is that they're supposed to take responsibility off some of the other guys right. in the room. You know, to take the pressure off. I mean, that, that one of the reasons why Jeter embraced being the guy that people were talked to is, you know, if you talk to me, maybe you're not going to talk to the to the kid in left field who made the error today. Maybe you're, or you're not going to get on. You're not going to get on the guy who's over four today. You're going to talk to me. And you know, by doing what Harvey did, you're not only taking pressure off your other guys, you're actually adding the pressure and adding the burdens to guys like Kevin Pilecki who just have no business having to answer for you. Yeah. Well, and and then there's the other element, which is self-serving, but it's still sub, it's still an element. Who got better press than Derek Jeter, right? I mean, you know, who 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 has been more celebrated uh, for a guy that you know it, it wasn't like Derek Jeter was a was a flawless baseball player. I mean, we we all know that, uh, but he was celebrated like nobody else, and that's not because it's not like because oh well he's nice to us, so we're going to write nice things about him. It's that he was available. He was available right. all the time, and so he was quoted all the time. And I think fans, even if they don't see it specifically for that one game, after a while they realize, hey, whenever this team 
struggles, there's Derek Jeter saying, we'll be back. And I think that carries a lot of power. And I, I really think that's a lesson that Matt Harvey, Matt Harvey's not a kid, you know, Matt Harvey's not 21. I mean, it, it's a lesson that to me, he, he should learn. And, and maybe he has learned it. Maybe, maybe going well, through that. His, his, his credit, you know, he, uh, on Sunday, one of the things he made, he made a point of, of saying is that he realized he, he was wrong. You know, he, he, he gave, he, you know, he's already being frustrated, but he used that as an explanation, not an excuse. And I thought that, 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 that I thought he handled that part of it perfectly. And look, I mean, that's fair. I mean, sure. you know, if, 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 if he acknowledges the mistake and then, and then, and then, you know, learns not to repeat the mistake, then it's going to be forgotten. And, you know, the only thing that people remember are the jerk, the jerk sports writers who got on him when he was down and when he was down. And that's fine. That's kind of the role that we play too, isn't it? We're all Max Mercy to a degree, right? <laughs> and so, you know, uh, it's, it's, so it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if, if the next time he's out and I'm there, if he fouls off a ball right into the press box. But that's fine. That's all part of the game. And, and, and look, if he, he he's not young in age, but he's still pretty young as a as a baseball player. Uh, I'm not excusing it, but I am you know certainly willing to to believe him when he says that he acknowledges that he what he did was wrong, and that he's going to be he's going to learn from it. And so you know from here we'll see if that's if that's the case. I can promise you one thing. The one thing that everybody wants, whether it's Matt Harvey or Terry Collins or the most voracious diehard Mets fan or the guys in the press box. Want him to be good again, just because it's more fun when he is. Sure. You know, people. You know, if, if there was one argument I had with people after the, the, uh, the thing, the comment last week, the last couple of comments I came out, they say, "Are you just trying to sell newspapers?" I'm like, you know, people always say that, but I can promise you, we sell a lot more papers the day after the Mets win than the day after they lose. Yeah. We sell a lot more papers in the Mets in the World Series than when they, than, 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 than when the, than the World Series of the Cardinals and the Tigers. We just do it's better for us, better for business when Matt Harvey throws a two hitter than when he gets shelled. It just is whether people want to believe that or not. So, so certainly, you know, you know, count, count us in for him finding what he had to find yesterday and, you know, becoming a, becoming a stalwart in the team again, because that's not only good for the Mets, it's good for the New York post. I I think, I think that's one of the, that's one of the great misnomers in, in sports writing is, and you hear it all the time. It's, it's you're just trying to drum up uh, interest to sell newspapers. And I, I got to tell you, I mean, it, you know, I've, I've seen it again and again and again. Nobody buys a paper after the football team loses. They just don't buy you. You can drum up as much negativity as you want. Nobody wants to mm-hmm. read that. Nobody cares. They only want to read it if the team wins. That's what they want to read. And and uh, and they only want to read about, you know, they want to read that the team is good. They want. Yes, sure. I mean, when the team is terrible, uh, they want you to lash out or whatever. But that doesn't sell newspapers. That doesn't sell – people don't pick up those stories and read those stories. Controversy does sell. I'm not saying that, That like, you know, I mean, how many how many stories and clicks have, have as Deflategate brought in? But that's not the same sure. thing. That's not that, – to me, that's not the same thing. I had an interesting conversation with Sandy Alderson last year, and I had a very interesting year with Sandy last year because on the 4th of July, I, 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 I crushed him probably as far as I've crushed an executive in my career – because the Mets were just flailing, they were, you know, John Mayberry was hitting cleanup, which is a great thing for the Royals in 1976, not so great for the Mets in 2015. Um, and it was just, it, it just looked like they weren't going to do anything. And there's this, you know, constant shadow following the Mets, at least there was, where they ever spend money. And I crushed it. And then, you know, obviously the day that they, the day that they clinched in Cincinnati, uh, Sandy was a part of that. You know, it, it was a lot different thing I read about Sandy that day. That I'd written a couple of a couple months earlier, and I, I remember that was a Saturday. It was Sunday. He was in the field, and we were talking. And you know, Sandy's a pro. To his credit, 
you know, he never treated me any differently or treats anybody any differently after he gets ripped or after he gets praised. He realized that's part of the game. You know, he's also a man in the 60s, so he understands the game a lot better than a kid in their 20s will. But he said, uh, which one did you enjoy writing more? And I said, I'm, I, said, I said, I'll tell you this or I'll tell anybody this. I much preferred enjoy, in, enjoyed writing the column yesterday where you're getting doused by champagne, the master builder of, of the Mets, you know, back in the playoffs. I, 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 I write that a hundred times before I write what I wrote in July. And he's like, I don't know that I believe you, but I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> and I understand that because, I mean, it, I mean it, there is something about visceral and anger, but there's also something about celebrating. And look, you and I are both drawn to sports writing to celebrate, not to not to eviscerate. Yeah, no, I, absolutely, absolutely. You're just good at it. It's just it's 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 your curse. You're just good <laughs> at eviscerating people. So that's you know. I do I do I do angry very well. In <laughs> you fact, do angry funny, very well. There, yes. There, there, there's a couple of people that I know on Twitter who direct message me, and before I you know even in certain circumstances where they know that I'm at a game. And they know that the uh, column is going to be a little bit angry. They always say, I can't wait to see what you can't reach. <laughs> because I guess I do. I, I, I guess I do have the talent of, of being angry. I guess it's my, uh, I guess it's my Sicilian roots. <laughs> it's your, it's your Louis CK. It's your Louis CK. That's you, right. You have. All right. So, uh, I have to ask you the universal question. And I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've asked you the question along these lines through the years. So, can can the Yankees ever be as good as the Royals? Can that ever happen? Like in the history, it's it's it, it does not seem like the Yankees have any chance. I mean, baseball is a profoundly unfair sport. <laughs> that you wonder, you know, if the disparity between uh, have and have not connect. It's it, it, it's 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 such a great time. No, I mean, I, I'm not I'm, I'm not I'm not to say that because you know I think certain people like to see the Yankees suffer, um, but it's a great time because it does prove that smarts does still work, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the Royals have been the World Series two years in a row. It looks like they're going to, you know, they've righted their ship already this year. And good for them. And how have they done it? They've done it because they've been smart about things. Um, and they have a smart guy in charge. And they've just done things properly. And look, I mean, I, I think Brian Cashman actually does a very good job with the Yankees. I know that's a hot button topic around New York. I, I think he, I think he tries within the parameters. I think now he's gotten a lot more of a say. And I don't think you're, you know, if Cashman were in charge, uh, Alex Rodriguez wouldn't be on the team because he wouldn't have been re-signed in 2007. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of things you can identify. I mean, he's not perfect, but, you know, the, the, the fact is the Yankees have spent $200 million now, I think, 11 years in a row, and they have one chance to show for it, which is just as many as the Royals have. Uh, and they, 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 they spent significantly less than $200 million. And I think that, you know, that's what, you, that's what baseball so desperately needed. You know, you think back, it wasn't that long ago when they were going to, you know, contract teams in this league, in this yeah. sport. And it's remarkable to think of that. And I don't think the Royals would have been one that would have been contracted, but had they been, you would have understood the reasoning for it. And now they're a model franchise. And I think that that's the important thing. Look, I, I do think that if there was no salary cap in the NBA, that that would be a tough sport to watch. I do think it would be the Celtics and the Knicks and the Lakers every year in the Bulls. You know, because because you only need five guys, you only need you know whatever you need to to to, to, to compete at a high level. I think in mean, baseball, you know, do I think it would be better if there was a, a salary cap? I'm just not a guy who's ever been in favor of salary cap because you know, in the battle between the millionaires and the billionaires, I'll always root for the millionaires. Right. So right. I want them to get as much as they can. But I, I do think that baseball is the kind of sport that can exist outside the parameters of a of a strict salary cap. Obviously, things have been helped along. Revenue sharing has helped. It's helped elevate the, 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 the lower teams. It's helped to kind of minimize what the Yankees can do. I mean, there was a time when, you know, it was just a matter 
of, of counting down when Steven Strasburg would join the Yankees or the Dodgers. Now that's not the case. I think that's better for baseball. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think that, look, there's still a, a fundamental advantage to being the Yankees in the New York media market, the Cubs in Chicago, the Dodgers in L.A., as opposed to being the Royals, the Reds, and the Twins. But all three of those teams have had stretches now where they've been awfully good. Yeah. You know, the Twins the, the Twins always ran into the Yankees, but, I mean, the Reds won 97 games a couple of years ago, and the Royals are kind of, you know, the the the, the, uh, the home office now for, you know, what you want to be when you – when you know when, when when everything comes together and and uh you know it's it, it it really really is fun to watch and it's it's it's, it's so funny right because it, it seems like yesterday when they traded will myers and people around the sport thought these guys really have lost their mind they stink and they're dumb <laughs> and well i guess you know that, that that's you know a couple of years later now you realize that maybe they maybe they knew exactly what they were doing yeah way davis wasn't a bad comeback for, for not for a bad comeback deal. no um but you know it's interesting you should say that about about salary caps because in a way, baseball does have a salary cap and that there's only – I mean, and I'm not even talking about the luxury tax, which is obviously out there. There's only so much money people are willing to spend, okay? I mean, yes. you know, there were times with George uh, in his heyday where you really kind of got the sense if you needed to spend a billion dollars, you'd spend a billion dollars. I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, there is a limit to what people are willing to spend, and we're seeing it. I mean, it's probably in that – 250 to 300 range now uh you know and it'll probably go up a little bit as time goes on but that that is that is not an artificial thing that that is how much people are willing to spend and the yankees basically spent it for one year or two years you know they spent it for like a small window when they knew cc sabathia was going to be great when they knew alex rodriguez would still be great uh when they knew jeter would still be great when they knew that 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 uh you know to and you just go around the the world with them, but they, they all were signed five years after you knew they were going to be great, you know, and you were just right. kind of hoping and the salary cap, you know, in your mind is still there. So basically you're strapped. I mean, there's just not a lot you can do unless you're willing to spend more money and, and the Yankees have determined and, you know, the Cubs did this too. I mean, that was what Theo did that I think was, you know, it was, it was, really smart to do but it was also you know a real kick in the in the stomach he told those guys we're gonna stink for a little while yeah. here you know we're gonna we're gonna take this thing to the bottom i'm not gonna have any dead money on this on this team uh i mean they're you look at them now first of all they're fantastic but second of all they've still got like so much money to play with. None of these guys right. are up for anything yet. And eventually it's going to, it'll top out. It'll have to make decisions about Brian to and whoever else. But now it's like fantastic. They've got all sorts of financial freedom. Uh, but in order to do that, they, they didn't, they didn't go for it the way the Phillies did. And you saw what the Phillies nightmarish, scenario yeah. was after that and that's what the yankees are going through now and i think basically this is sort of the last year of it right i mean isn't basically everybody coming off the books this year most of the guys are coming off the books. yeah i mean a, a, a rides back next year he, 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 here's here's the thing too i mean look what the yankees you know what's what would the yankees accomplished under the with, with the dynasty boys right i mean um they won you know they they they, they, they won three in a row four to five and Jeter hadn't made anything close to big money by the time. Right. Jeter didn't start making big money until a year after that dynasty was over. I think Bernie Williams made big money in two of those championship years. Uh, Jason Giamma didn't win a thing under him. Mike Messina didn't win a thing under him. 
Mariano didn't start making big money until after the, the dynasty was over. On and on, right? So, and, and, and you're right. There was, there was 09, which is kind of the outlier in all of this. 09 was a year that was a, that was a response to 08. Yep. George was still living. The people who were running the Yankees wanted to try and win one more championship for him. And it was money be damned. And it happened to work out in that one year. Um, but that's, that, that is absolutely an outlier. You, you really, this is, this is clearly a sport where, where we're simply outspending is not going to get you where you want to go. The Dodgers are the prime example of that. I mean, they couldn't get out of the first round last year. They got out of the first round, what, one year out of, out, out of all these times, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, it's, it, and it's a lesson that, you know, I, I don't think teams are learning, learning because you still have your, you know, people giving out approvals, you know, $7 trillion or whatever, but uh, you know, you, it, it, it's, it's, you know, whatever. I mean, it, 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 it's, 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 you know, one of the reasons why, you know, like for the Mets, the Mets got criticized for 10 years for not never spending any money, you know, partly because they had no money to spend and partly because they'd been burned before, but you know, they could also always shoot back and say, you know, and did, you know, take a look at the, at the guys who were spending $225 million. Right. How are they doing? And I think it was a fair question. It's a fair argument. And right now, I mean, it's it, it's better to be younger. It's better to have control of your players. And those are the teams that 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 that, that now are tending to to succeed. I mean, you know, that's the that's the great thing about the Mets is right. You know, you know, you know, these, these pitchers, all of them, as, as great as the staff is, they have them all under control for another for, for at, at least another two more years, which is you know incredible to think about. It's incredible. And the Cubs, and, and and the Cubs are even more because I mean because because they not only have you know the great the great you know pitchers, but their hitters are all you know, under control for, you know, the foreseeable future, which is tremendous. It is tremendous, but it's also because, and I think the Mets had this, the Cubs certainly knew this, the Royals, um, I think, got this, although I think this was sort of, you know, part of the plan for a long time with them. The Astros get this, and I think this is something that people uh, will miss. The game is skewing young now. I mean, really young. And I think mm -hmm. you would rather have a 22-year-old out there than a 29-year-old. I mean, it just, I mean, from a pure, I mean, I'm not talking about specifics. I'm not saying a 22-year-old stiff versus a 29-year-old star. But if if all things even, you would rather have the 22-year-old out there and not worry about experience or all this because these guys are coming in having played so much youth baseball, uh, being, you know, obviously having the minor leagues. They're coming in ready to play at an extremely high level. The, the good players... I mean, you you see what the Cubs, I mean, everybody is getting good faster than the plan because the young players are are where it's at right now. And, you know, that's why to me, look, if I was a GM, I don't want to say never because at some point maybe you're one player away or you think you are or whatever. But I would like to believe I would never, ever give a 28-year-old player a, a long-term contract. I mean, I don't want players in, the, my, in their 30s. I don't care who they are. And, it does mean it, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, nope. that's, I, to me, that's, that's how you end up going down what the Yankees have to deal with. I, I think you go down that path. Those guys are way expensive. You're never going to get your money's worth out of them anyway. And a lot of times those guys are not only going to be like disappointing, they're going to be unplayable. They're going to be ba I mean, unplayable right now. I mean, if Albert Pujols wasn't Albert Pujols, would you even have him in the lineup? You wouldn't even have him in the no. lineup, you know? No, I mean, you know, the 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 the, uh, the 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 way people dance around with Alex Rodriguez is now. I mean, you know, he gets a, you know, he lines a sharp single to left center field, and people, 
you know, it's, it's kind of like the kid in, in Little League who finally got a hit. I mean, it's, it's, it's not becoming of the career that Alex Rodriguez has had. I'll say this, you know, one of the great things about, about the way baseball has evolved, especially in the last couple of years, is I, I, I really admire the, the, uh, the discourse that fans will have with you now. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot smarter than it used to be, I think. I mean, obviously, it can also be a lot dumber depending on, you know, <laughs> on what subjects you're talking about. But, you know, I, I, I got into a, into a discussion not long ago with a couple of Mets fans. And, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and they were right. They were talking about how, you know, if you had a choice between, say, Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom, now there's a there's kind of a brouhaha. You know, Degrom was so great last October, yes. and you know this spring they just kind of they, they renewed him, and he wasn't happy and, and and all that. And look, I mean, you hate to you hate to reduce everything to cold business sense, but let's take a look at that. Jacob Degrom was brilliant last October. He is a very good pitcher. You know, he actually is still a guy of all the guys of all the talent on this roster. If I got to win, I want him on the mound because he's also a bulldog. Yes. He's gone through exactly what Farmer's gone through this year, but he still gets guys out. He knows how to get guys out. Okay. All of that said, if I'm the Mets, I never even consider signing him long term for a while yet. You have four more years of control, which means that that, that his last year of control is when he's in his age 31 right. season. That's right. Why in the world would you insist? So they, 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 in, in the modern game, there is absolutely no no upside to to, to to doing that. You can't let Sentiment get into it, or you wind up with Ryan Howard on your team for four years longer than you want. Now, now contrast that with with, with Noah Syndergaard. You know, you, you still have him for five years of control, but he's twenty three. That's right. And so, you know, by the time you're talking about maybe halfway through that, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense if the Mets want to, you know, assuming he stays healthy, to say buy out his his, you know. His, his arbitration years and his first two years of free agency, if they ever come back, that makes perfect sense because now you're only talking about the end of that deal being when he's 31, 32, at which point, you know, I, I doubt he's going to be throwing 95 mile an hour sliders, but you know, it, it, it's a hard thing for people to come to, to terms with because, you know, DeGrom is a guy who, you know, really appeals to a lot of Mets fans because of, because of the way he pitched last year in October. But you know what I mean? It's the same reason why I thought, look, despite the fact that, you know, he, he seems like he wants to stalk Ted Williams all year this year, I know the Mets made a smart move not, you know, going multiple years for Daniel Murphy because yeah. I just think that over the course of that contract, they're going to be proven right. It's going to be hard for them to be proven right this year because I think he's going to have a pretty good year. Sure. And he's got some motivation on his side. And, you know, I mean, it's going to be hard for him not to hit 350 as hot as right now. But over the course of three and four years, you know, and look, Mets wanted him back this year. They offered him arbitration, so you know, so so they they offered him the you know the the, the, the one year free agent deal. So I mean, uh, they wanted him back this year, and they would have gotten him a pretty good player if they got him for one year. But they have a guy at AAA, Justin Herrera, who is they they, they see as a second baseman for the next seven, six seven years. So you know, they make these are the kind of business decisions you make for better or for worse. Well, and and it's always always for worse when you go long term unless you are willing to pay the price. So if you're willing right. to say, "Hey, I think Daniel Murphy's going to be a really good player for the next 2 years and I got to sign him for 5." Um so I'm going to pay him 5 and 2 basically. I'm going to it's basically I'm going to pay him as much money as I think those 2 years are worth and anything I get after that is basically gravy. And and you know, that's you're you're paying the guy a whole lot of money for 2 years, but that is to me where uh, and you see it a little bit with what the Red Sox have done, um, you know, where where they with 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 uh, Panda, where they just basically said, you can't play anymore. So we're benching you. We're benching you. Right. We're not going to we're not going to compound the error of giving you that contract with playing you. And I think I think that's where 
long-term contracts are going to go. I, I just don't, I just don't see any value in them uh, past 32. Uh, you might get lucky and get one of these players that last. There are some of those that do that and play well into their mid and late thirties, but they're not many. And, and betting on that is just to me, just a bad bet, just a bad bet. Uh, you know? And that's why, I mean, that's why trout and just, you know, especially, uh, you know, Bryce Harper is so oh, unique yeah. because I mean, Harper's, Harper's going to become a free agent when he's 26 years old. So, I mean, there really, there, there, there really is no, no, no price tag you can put on, on, on just what he might be able to produce for you over seven years in the middle of his prime. $500 million. So that's, a, it, that's where, that's where the deal starts. I've, I've said I that mean, for absolutely. a year. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a and, that, and, 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 and that's, you know, and, and Trout's not quite there, but he's in terms of, in terms of age, but just, he's going to be close. I, I, but, but, but I know how often do you have that? I mean, you know, as often as not, you have a guy like, like, like Matt Harvey, who's, you know, 27 years old. I mean, they, 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 not long ago, people on the Mets were obsessed with the idea that, that he might leave. But, 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 but again, it's, it's, it's one year less than you're talking about with Jacob DeGrom, but it's the same theory. Yeah. You know, do you want to lock him up to be, to be a 34, 35 year old pitcher? Even if he hadn't had these struggles he's had, just from, 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 the, from a birth certificate standpoint, I mean, you know, you just said it, you know, the game is skewing younger and there's reasons why. And it's only going to get more so because I think that, uh, that, you know, teams, teams are never going to be shy about spending money, but I think they're going to be smarter and smarter as years go on with how they spend that money. Yeah. It'll be just as much in play. It's just not going to go to the same kind of piece, same kind of piece, same kind of players. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. All right. Two more questions. Uh, and I will let you go, which I, I mean that sincerely. I'll let you go. Um, <laughs> The uh, the first question is, and and you know I, I, this thing will be a little time sensitive, so I don't want to I don't want to uh, you know put you in a spot where people will be listening to this and going, oh, he's already wrong. Uh, but with the with the Cleveland uh, Golden State series, what are you looking for? Yeah, well, what I'm looking for, but what I'm rooting for is not just because I'm on the phone with uh, Mr. Cleveland, <laughs> but I want, I mean, I, I, I want the Cavaliers to win. I mean, you know, it depends on what day you catch me. If I'm in a good mood, I'm going to say because it's time. In a bad mood, I'm going to say I want people like you to finally shut up about it. <laughs> but I do want the Cavs. And, and, and I'm also a guy. I mean, I realize he's got his flaws, but I just love LeBron's a player. Um, I'll say this. It's going to be you know, the, the, the last couple of games of that uh, OKC uh, Golden State Series really to make you shake your head because the, you just wonder if there's ever been a defensive challenge quite like what the Warriors present because, you know, there's there, – there, there's, been never been a player quite like Steph Curry before, and yet you get a guy who's about ninety-two percent of what Curry is in Clay Thompson. He plays in the same team. These guys don't. You know, you can say guard the three, but they do. People do guard the three, and they still make the shots. That's what's crazy. I mean, you know, the, the definition of these two guys being open and every other player on the planet being open is completely different. Two and different it things, just, yeah. it just makes playing deep. You know, and it's so soul crushing. Right there, 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 three different times in the second half, I thought of the, the, the Thunder position. That, Try and come back, but you know what, what happens? They play great defense, and then Steph makes a thirty-two foot shot, right. you know, with a hand in his face, and it's not just him. So you can't just throw two guys at him because then you know Thompson's gonna do the same thing. It's such a unique defensive challenge, and that's what I wonder if Cleveland can rise to. Now, look, I mean, the, the, the one thing I'll say, and you know, I don't want to cause this debate, but Cleveland will have the best player on the floor, and that's no offense to Steph Curry. It tells you, I think, where LeBron James is. He is the best player in the league. He's not the MVP this year. I'm not going to you know, argue that point. But I do think he's the best player. And as long as you have the best player on your team and you have, you know, he has his wingman list this time around, it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, look, I mean, 
they were up two one, as you well know, and they should have been up three nothing, as you well know. Yep. When it was LeBron and you, me, and yeah. you know exactly. Um, so now it's certainly intriguing as to how he would respond with with the full complement of players. Um, I hope it happens. I do. I mean, I'm not rooting against Golden State. I am rooting for Cleveland, sure. only because uh, it's it, 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 you know I, I'm in, in all seriousness, it really is time, and this is really the kind of team. And you know, look, I mean, if LeBron does this, you know, uh, then good for him. I think I think whatever lingering residue might still remain in certain people's hearts about what happened you know six years ago will finally be like it never happened, and oh, I hope yeah. that's the way it goes down. Yeah, I think it's already pretty close to it never happened. Even coming back and, and, and even leading this team to two consecutive finals and all that. I have I have an interesting sort of dilemma in my mind about this last series with Golden State. And I love Golden State. I love that team. Obviously I'm I'm a Clevelander and, and I couldn't I couldn't possibly be rooting for Cleveland more and for Golden State less, but I love that team anyway. Uh but I'll say this. So I and this is my dilemma. Um I can't tell whether to be encouraged or discouraged by that series. And this is what I mean by that. There were times, and I just wrote about this, there were times Golden State was flat out terrible. I mean, terrible. That's That was a pedestrian, mediocre basketball team on the floor. They couldn't grab a rebound. They were sloppy. Draymond Green looked like he had lost his mind. Uh, it, it was, they couldn't, I mean, the... the what what Steven Adams was doing to them inside was it was he's Steven Adams. I mean, he's a good young player and all, but I mean, he was like Wilt Chamberlain. He couldn't they couldn't they couldn't <laughs> stop him inside. They couldn't get keep him off the glass. Uh, and I was watching that team and I'm like, that team is beatable. Absolutely beatable. And, you know, Oklahoma City, I think, wins that series if they shoot at all from three point range. I mean, they they were ludicrously bad from three point range. So. That's the positive from a Cleveland perspective where I was watching going for the first time because I thought all year, look, this is where it's going to end up and they're going to lose. Cleveland's going to lose because Golden State's just a, uh, you know, you, just one of the great teams, maybe the greatest team ever. They're not going to be able to beat them, but it's going to be a great season anyway. But now I'm looking going for the first time that team is beatable. So that's so that's one side. Here's the other side. Golden State can't play worse than that. They still won the series. You know what I mean? It's like that's <laughs> yeah. that's as bad as they can possibly be, and and they still won because of those things that you're talking about, where where you know Clay Thompson is making ludicrous shots, absolutely ludicrous shots, and he's the second best on that team at doing that, uh, and they still won the series. And so I don't know. I don't. I really don't know because I really think if Golden State plays like that. No matter how well those two guys shoot, if they play like that, they will lose because Cleveland can actually shoot the three, which Golden State, which uh, Oklahoma City couldn't do. And LeBron is is as great a player as Durant is, as great a player as as as. Uh, um, uh, why am I losing my mind? Uh, the other guy, <laughs> I, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Um, as as great a player as those guys are, LeBron's better. You know Russell Westbrook. Right. Excuse me, I, I don't know why I couldn't think of Russell Westbrook's name. But as I was right as... there with you, so I was, I was, I was a great wingman there because I blanked at the same time. It's kind of <laughs> like our, our big our big radio show back in '97. Exactly, a lot, of quality, you... a lot of quality dead air there. <laughs> we'll just sit around, just going, "What do you? What, do you have anything to say? Anything at all?" <laughs> um, but but as great as those two players are, they're not LeBron yeah. and Kyrie. 
is is on another level as far as finishing now. I mean, he's playing outstanding. Kevin Love is actually fitting into the to the thing for the first time. So if they play like that, Cleveland will beat them. But are they really going to play like that for another series? I mean, I guess that's what it comes down to for me. Well, here's the thing that would worry me if I'm a Cavaliers fan is that you know, obviously obviously the, the the Warriors the defending champs, so that goes in their side. Uh, they they won 73 games this year, you know that goes in their side. Um, and the thing of it is, they were they were down by 10 points with uh, 13 minutes to go in, in Game Six, yep. and we're 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 dead. You're playing in an atmosphere. You know, I talked to two guys who, who covered that game. They said it was the loudest they've ever heard sports. Um, I mean, it was it was just an impossible situation to come back from, and yet they came back from it. And to me. That's the thing that would worry me is that is that uh, you know you can you know, they get labeled with a lot of unfair things you know because they come from the West Coast and you know they, you know this and that you know don't play defense well let me tell you what that, the, the, the last five quarters of that series uh, you know a, anybody wants to argue with the Warriors' heart their metal you know their their character hard to do that because yeah. because they were about as they, they were about as dead as you could be and they came back and. You know, one game six going away, as it turned out, which is bizarre because you know, not only did they play great and stretch, but the, the, the Thunder looked like they were on the takedown stretch. Right. And then, in, and, and then in game seven, look, I mean, you know, the Thunder tried, but you know, when, when the game was going to be won, who won it? The team that won seventy three games. So to me, that's what concerned me is that not only not only do they have a lot of success to draw upon over the last two years, but they also now have they know that you know if they're down in a, in a pickle. They're not going to wilt, and in fact, sometimes they can say that they 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 play their very best. I think that's kind of what would really would concern me if I'm the Cavaliers. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, look, I think they're the best team. I really do. I think Golden State's the best team. I think you're 100 percent right. Uh, I think they have this this ability when they were playing terrible. I thought they played terrible first half of Game Seven. I thought they were terrible, but you know what? They were only down what six or eight at, at the half because yep. they exactly. they know how to keep games close. So, yeah, I, they're still the favorites, but I will say that there's a little part of me that goes, hey, if if that team is tired and if Steph is a little bit tentative or a little bit hurt and they do play like they did against Gold, against uh, Oklahoma City, uh, I think Cleveland has a real shot. But that, yeah. could, that could also be the Cleveland or me. All right, last question. <laughs> uh, All right. Here we go. This is it. And I promised um, uh, our producer, Tess, that I would bring up St. Bonaventure uh, on this on this podcast, and I was trying to figure out how to do it. Um, and here's here's what I'm going to ask you, because uh, you and I both have dealt with this a lot. We both began in this world as gigantic sports fans, uh, and I think we still are gigantic sports fans even beyond our our sports writing. So, how do you balance being a huge, huge uh, you know, fan. I mean, look, you grew up a fan of the Mets. You grew up a fan of the Jets. And I know that a lot of that sort of dissipates as you cover the team, but you don't really cover Bonnies. You love the Bonnies. You're a huge, huge fan still. How do you balance the fanhood with the sports writing? Well, I mean, thank goodness for the Bonnies, uh, because that really is the, uh, that, 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 you know, that's alone for two reasons. One, because it's my one real outlet where I can just unabashedly root and root and root. And, you know, and where I feel because I mean, you know, they were, you know, I, I, we got a whole other pod, podcast and how they got just totally opposed oh, by yeah. oh, Joe yeah. Castiglione and the NCAA committee. And I mean, it's funny. I was telling a friend of mine uh, today from, 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 who works at Bonaventure, and I said, "Yeah, I woke up this morning and I realized, okay, I'm over it." 
It's only three months later, but I'm, I'm but that's kind of that, that's kind of you know craziness that, that that a real legitimate sports fan you know goes through, and that allows me the outlet. And also, I think, and it's important, you know, the one thing and I, I know you know this too, the one thing I've encountered in my time that really makes me sad about certain other members of our of our tribe is that um, you cover so so many games, so many players, you get blown off so many times that not only does a sports fan get beaten out of you, but you get cynical and you start to hate the games. Or you know people who do, and you know I, I honestly I never want to get that way because I still get it. I got thrilled two hours ago walking in the city field. I mean because I know I'm going to get paid to watch a baseball game tonight. Um, I, I, I never want to lose that, but I also never, but I also never want to lose what it is, what the people that buy the tickets and also buy the newspaper go through. I want to know what it's like to be a fan, you know. And the thing is that I, I don't live and die with the Mets anymore. I don't live and die with the Jets anymore. I just don't. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a million reasons why it's just, and it's not just the, uh, it's not just the business of, of, of thinking you have to be objective. I had, you know, you and I both love Bob Ryan and Bob Ryan and I have had this debate many, many times and he's right. He, he says, you can absolutely give me a fan if you want to be just, you know, you, you can't, you know, you, you, what's good for you, for them is good for you. So that's me, you know, and I understand that, that point of view and I appreciate the fact that he certainly embraces that point of view, but it just, it, it, you know, I root for good stories, and sometimes that means the home team's got to lose. You know, more often it means that that the good that the home team's going to win, so that's a better story. But uh, that's fine. But there's a lot, you know, it's, just, it's a lot, it's a lot less romantic rooting for stories, rooting for your profession, than rooting for a team, rooting for a player. And so the the, the time I invest in rooting for the Bonaventure basketball team um, allows me at least an idea of what it is that these fans go through day after day, week after week, year after year, and. Uh, you know, I've been lucky. They've actually been pretty good the last couple of years. They got a really good coach. I'm not sure how long we're going to have Mark Schmidt, uh, but he's a terrific coach, and they 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 they've had a bunch of winning seasons in a row, and that helps. I mean, it would be less fun if I were investing all this time in a team that went five and twenty-three every year. <laughs> Although I have gone through stretches when that was the case, um, but uh, it, it really is, you know, very important to me because it's uh, you know it allows me to stay a fan, you know, and I and this thing, it's like you know I, I do occasionally, and I mean occasionally dabble writing about say Bonaventure at the, for the post, but I do it very infrequently because a, because I don't want it to intrude upon my fun, but sure. B, I mean, there's, there's not even a pretense. I mean, you know, I'm not going to insult the St. Joe's fan and write about a Bonnie St. Joe's game and think there's anything other than a, one, a subjective viewpoint going on here. I get that. And, uh, I mean, I, I you know, it's, 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 it's uh, and that's fine. I mean, I prefer not to ever write about them because that's mine. That, 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 that belongs to me. And uh, it, 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 I think it helps. It helps me remain a sports fan. I can say with with, with absolute clarity and certainty, I'm I, I'm still a, a huge sports fan. I just root in different ways for different places, different things. You know, it's a lot like Al Michaels is actually a huge, huge hockey fan. A huge. No, fan. I knew that. Yeah, yep. the LA Kings, and and that's that's his outlet. So I mean, I I think that's I think that's one aspect of it. There is another aspect though that I think about. So. You know, I grew up in Cleveland, and obviously, you know, I, I'd not—I I wouldn't say that—that that I live and die with with Cleveland sports anymore. Other than this this dream I have that they're someday going to win a championship, but there is—it's like there's two different parts of you. I was there the night that they lost Game Seven in 1997 in the World Series. Mm-hmm. The Indians lost to to the Marlins. I was there that night, and. People have said, well, that must have been really terrible. But you know what? I was a reporter. I was a columnist there. I wasn't, it's not that I didn't feel it. It's not like I didn't, you know, when I look back on it, I'm like, wow, that really stunk. But 
kind of when you're doing the job, you're doing the job. Like you're different. It's there's a different part of it. It's like the the idea of rooting during a game is is like I don't I don't feel it. I like you know I, like every so often you know that at every event they'll make some announcement, especially at college games. You know, no cheering in the press box and and. I, I people sometimes still do and it blows my mind because it's like yeah. not because it's unprofessional. I mean there there is a there is that element of it. But that's like the last thing I'm thinking about. If I see a great play, sure. my thought is not, oh wow my thought is, okay, how am I writing that? Right? I mean it's like exactly. there's a, there's there is a, like a totally different way that you look at sports when you're when you're writing about it. Well plus you have to know that the universe is paying attention and the universe tends to have a sense of humor. I mean you know one thing <laughs> The one thing I've said I've always wanted to do, and this is an acknowledgement of the teams I grew up with, is I would love before I retired to be able to, 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 to write one column piece on the teams that I rooted for growing up winning a championship. I'd love to write about the Mets winning the World Series, the Jets winning a Super Bowl, and the Knicks winning an NBA title. So naturally, the universe has given me four Yankee championships to, to write about, two Giants championships to root about, and I came very close to having to write about the Nets. So there you go. Root at your own peril. Root at your own peril. That's how it always works. Michael, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It was great talking to you, Joe, as always, my man.